Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 11, verses 14 through 36. And we are on page 869 in the Bibles and the chairs. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, He cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For if you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebul, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Before we get started, I just want to say that I don't usually sit up front over here, and if you guys haven't tried that yet, which, I mean... Nobody ever does, but you really should at some point because it's amazing just to hear everybody singing praises to God. It is a different perspective. It was, it was very moving. So, I mean, that's great that we can praise that way, but anyway, sorry about that. So, first of all, let me just pray and uh, thank God for his word. So, please pray with me. Father, it is good that we can be in your presence. It is good that we have your word. Thank you for that. Thank you just that we can be here. Thank you that we can praise you. In song, thank you that we can learn from you and your word. I pray that you would speak to us today. I pray that you would speak through me, speak around me, Father, that you, you would, your word would be heard today. 
we love you. We give you this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So thanks, everybody, for uh, giving me the opportunity. I, don't, I appreciate that. It's, I'm honored just to be here this morning. Um, as Jake said, my name's Tyler, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet. A um, little quick background about me. We've been at Windsor for about two and a half years now, but we weren't exactly new when we came here because we're a little bit of a different case. See, this isn't the first Crossway Network church I've been a part of. Actually, it's not the second Crossway Chapel Network church I've been a part of. This is the third Crossway Chapel Network that I've called home. So we started going to Mountain View a long time ago, and we were there for seven or eight years. And then we went on a church plant to Alt, and we helped plant High Plains Harvest. We were about there for about 10 years, and then we came here. So for those of you who aren't good at doing math on the fly, that means we've been in the Crossway Network for about... 20 plus years. So been here for about two and a half though. Um, graduated from PLI about the same time with some of the men in this body, uh, Ben Alexander, um, Chad Barlow, who was at the crossing at the time, but he's obviously here now. Uh, Mike Delaney, who left with the Greeley Church plant. Um, Ryan Farrer, who's here this morning, and David Morgan, who is somewhere in the world on a mission. So that was the group that I graduated with that's, that you guys know. But um, here at WCC, we help co-lead a community group. Um, you've see, probably seen me up here on stage playing bass every once in a while, trying to hit a few of the right notes. Um, wife plays keys. Uh, my son's been up here playing trumpet. My daughter plays the upright bass. Um, and for those of you who've done children's ministry, you probably know my youngest. So my wife also does, helps out with the women's Bible study. And basically, we just try and fill in wherever we can. So you guys read the passage or heard the passage, and I kind of have to be honest, when Dan asked me to fill in, I hadn't really read it before, and too much. I mean, I've read it, but haven't put a whole lot of time into it. And so when I started looking into it, I told Dan, sure, I'd, I'd be happy to preach, be honored to. And then I read the verse, and I thought, maybe Dan doesn't like me very much. I don't know. Because <laughs> my first reaction was, isn't this like five sermons? I mean, why, why is it here in Luke this way? So I, I got to reading it. I, I don't think Dan doesn't like me. I, nothing like that. But um, I'm going to just boil it down to you. And then we're going to continue to break this down. But in a simple statement, this passage is all entirely about people missing or not seeing Jesus when he was here. So... Keep that in mind as we break this down. It all points to that. And you'll see how as we go through this. So speaking of missing things, have you ever been looking around your house for something and you can't see it? It might be right in front of you and you can look and you swear it is nowhere near. And usually what happens with me when I do this is I ask my wife where something is and she points to it and it can literally be, I mean, the other day it was literally right here, right in front of me. It's like, how do we not see these things? You know, it's, why do we do this? I, at least I hope you all can identify with that. I hope I'm not the only one that does this, but I think what happens here is when we see, when the reality of something doesn't meet our expectations. Let's say you're looking for a book, and you think the book has this big picture, I don't know, let's say it's a lion, a picture of a lion on it, Right? And you're looking around for a picture of a lion. Well, what happens if that book is turned over? Maybe it's even a different color on the backside. It's got words on it. 
you might miss it because you were looking for a lion and it was the back of a book. When we're talking about a book or, you know, maybe the TV remote or something, this isn't a big deal, right? We just, we end up finding it. But what would happen if you did this with Messiah, if you did this with Jesus? What if you expected him to look like one thing based on your experience, based on what you saw in the Old Testament, based on all of this, and he came and he looked like something completely different? Do you think you'd miss him? What about today? We know what Jesus was. We have the resurrection to look back on. Do you miss him today? We'll talk about that more in a little bit. But Okay, so we're going to take a little step back and look at where this passage fits in Luke. Much like the last couple verses or the past couple sermons that Dan taught, we don't really know exactly where and when this takes place. It could be chronologically after he visited Mary and Martha and taught on the Lord's, or as Dan said, the disciples' prayer last week. So we don't know exactly where it fits. But what we do know is the way that Luke has it laid out in this book is it is really a turning point here because up until this point, Jesus responded to the people that questioned him like a teacher would, with patience. And starting this week, and really next week, we see his tone change completely, and he's less like a teacher and more like a judge. And I don't want to steal Chad's thunder, but next week you're really going to see that come out. You see it a little bit here, but you'll see it next week. But before we get to next week, obviously, let's jump in and take a look at what we have this week. So starting in verse 14. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking signs, keeping, seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, okay, I know that's in the middle of a sentence, but we're going to stop there. Because this section sets the stage for the rest of Jesus' response to these people. First interesting thing to note is that Luke pretty much just skips over the details of Jesus casting out this demon, right? This is one of those things that I'm like, you could probably do a full sermon on that. But Luke doesn't spend a lot of time here either, so we're not going to spend a lot of time on that. This event, this casting out of the demon, is really just a catalyst for Jesus' response. So who's he responding to? I think he's specifically responding to a group of people within the crowd that were seeking the sign and testing him. So first question that this brought me to was, is questioning Jesus bad? No. I don't think questioning Jesus is bad if you're doing it out of a heart of wanting to understand who he is and trying to learn from him. That's not what these people were doing here. They were questioning Jesus with a different motive. They were trying to tear him down so that they could somehow, in their minds, build themselves up. And they were just there, they were seeking signs just to see the spectacle. They just wanted to see a show. It was like going to a magic show for them, some of them. So who was in this group? When I originally read this, I assumed that it, could be the, that it was the scribes and the Pharisees, especially based on the next section of scripture that we have because he addresses the scribes and the Pharisees directly. But the more I thought about it, the more I think that it is a broader group than just those two because there are many people who oppose Jesus, and I would submit even today there are people in this group that 
aren't scribes, they aren't Pharisees, but I think they do have that same heart. So in other words, this group of people that Jesus is addressing for the rest of this passage, and again, don't forget that, it's important, it kind of ties this whole thing together. They were there, but they weren't actually seeking Jesus. They were seeking their own gain. So just to break up this passage and to try and break down a little bit about what Jesus is doing, we're going to cover five different points. First, we're going to see God's power on display. Next, we're going to see God's place in your life. Then we're going to see God's blessing to his people. We're going to look at the blindness of men, and we're going to look at the piercing light of Jesus. It's a lot. We're going to try and get through it. So let's go ahead and take a look at the first one, God's power on display. So continuing in the second half of verse 17, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. Okay, so first, Jesus is responding to the accusation that he's casting out demons by a power other than the power from God. First thing we need to take a look at is who is this Beelzebul? Um, He's a Canaanite deity based on Beelzebub. I don't know why they changed the name, but they did. Um, and in the New Testament, it's usually a reference directly to Satan. Even in verse 15 here, we see that he's talked about as the prince of demons. So I think it's safe to say that while there may not be a difference, or maybe there is between Beelzebul and Satan, we're really, they're on the same team, right? So we're kind of talking about the same group here. So how does Jesus respond to this accusation that it's by this power that he's casting out demons? He makes a logical argument. This just doesn't make sense. Why would Satan cast out demons? Wouldn't he want to leave them with the people? What does he gain from this person, this demon being cast out of this person? Absolutely nothing. He loses things. So this is, let's take a real-world example of a kingdom divided. Think about a close relationship with you, that you have. It might be a spouse. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's just a close friend. What if they were truly an enemy of everything you stood for? I'm not talking about little disagreements about where do you want to go eat, I don't know, and you would have a discussion or an argument about that. I mean, what if they were really an enemy of everything that you stood for? What if they fought everything that you did? How do you think that relationship would would work out? It wouldn't, right? It would just fall apart. The same is true here, and this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying if Satan is fighting against the demons, they would be weaker. And Satan is smarter than that. I've heard him described as cunning. I've heard him described as crafty. He roams around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But I don't think I've ever heard him described as unintelligent. And I think that's the point Jesus is making here. That just doesn't make sense. It's a foolish argument. And he's also making a second point here that's a little more personal to the Jewish people. He says, you have Jewish, there are Jewish people out here casting out demons as well. So by your logic, if I'm using Satan's power to cast out these demons, then I guess they are too, right? So would you accuse your sons of using Satan's power? And I don't think any of them would have, and that's the point he's making here. So your accusation is just, quite frankly, foolish and inconsistent. So if it's not by the power of Beelzebul, 
then by what power does he cast out these demons? We see that in start, he describes that in verse 20. He says, but if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. So Jesus shows us the alternative here. If it's not by Satan's power, then it must be by the power of God. And if it is, then that means the kingdom of God has come upon you. So God is present. And he's telling the people, don't miss it. So he gives us a real-world example with the parable of the strong man here, saying basically just that God is stronger than Satan. Jesus is using God's power to throw out the demon. Demons might be strong men. I mean, compared to us, sometimes they are, right? They, this person was being possessed by a demon, but when God showed up, the demon fled. God is stronger. So it's by this power that demons are cast out and scattered. This scattering part also makes another point of if it was Satan doing this casting out, then why would the demons flee? If they were just in the presence of Satan's power, that wouldn't be a big deal to them, so why would they have to run away? They're friends, or they're on the same side. I don't know if anybody's friends with Satan. but So when I'm doing some of these, what I think are a little more complicated verses or that I have trouble understanding, I kind of like to do a thought exercise. And you have to be careful with this. It's not something that you can do with every passage but sometimes it helps to, to understand what's going on here. I like to put myself in the passage and say, if I was alive at the time, who would I be in this passage? Where would I be? Obviously, I don't think I would be Jesus giving the speech, so I would be somebody in the crowd, right? Which part of the crowd do you think you'd be in? Would you be part of the crowd that opposes Jesus, that he's really responding to? There's other people in the crowd that aren't part of this group, but which part would you be? I know if I'm being honest with myself when I thought about this, I've had a lot of doubts over the years. I've questioned God a lot about why he does things the way he does. I think it'd be pretty easy for me to fall into that group sometimes. I know when I have struggles, I might question and be upset with God. Even if I know he's doing these things for my own good, I still question those things. What about you? Do you ever have those doubts? You ever have doubt Jesus and doubt God and what he's doing? How do we get through that when we do? That thankfully is addressed, but it's not quite yet. So we'll get to that here in a few verses. So let's just kind of put a pin in that thought. But just to summarize what Jesus has said so far, he's basically said that God is more powerful than Satan. And these people are direct witnesses to God doing powerful things right up close and personal. They're right there when he's doing these things. And that becomes pretty apparent or pretty important as we move on. So what happens when these demons or these spirits are cast out? Let's go into verse 24. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So first thing in here, this is a little bit confusing, but there is a Jewish tradition that says that unclean spirits lived, or demons or evil spirits lived in the desert. I honestly don't know if this was a figurative 
tradition or if they actually thought they literally lived in the desert. I don't know for sure. It really doesn't matter to this passage, but that's, where, that's what it means by waterless places is they're talking about that desert. But a couple of things that do matter about this. First of all, let's look at the person in this discussion here. What did they do when the demon was cast out? They tried to get their lives together. Of course, they were doing it by their own strength, but it was going pretty well, right? I mean, it says that their house, which is, you know, their life, their body, was swept and put in order. Good for them, right? They made, they made some progress. But there's definitely something missing here. Think back to the parable that we just talked about of the strong man in verse 21. When that unclean spirit was cast out, or when this unclean spirit is cast out, who's there to protect this house? Did the stronger man who cast the demon out take up residence there and protect the palace? No. Nobody is protecting this house. So, just a hypothetical here, what if when this unclean spirit that passed through this waterless places came back to the house, what if he found the Holy Spirit living there, the Holy Spirit of God? Do you think he'd have been able to take up residence there? Even if he brought back his seven evil friends, have seven evil spirits, do you think the seven or eight of them would have been able to take up residence there? Absolutely not. If this palace was protected by the God of the universe, then they would just be still wandering in waterless places. So this is where Jesus takes this discussion about evil spirits. This is where it gets a little interesting because he's not just talking about evil spirits. He's starting to shift the focus of what he's addressing here. And he's starting to address the people of Israel and this group specifically. And you can tell that because, as you'll see here in a few verses, he expects these people to know the Old Testament very well. When he talks about this analogy of the unclean spirit being cast out and coming back, he's talking about the people of Israel as a whole. So today we're going to be looking at a lot of things from the Old Testament. And this is the most broad of all of them. Really, we're talking about the full arc of the Old Testament here. It's full of people, cycles of people committing to God, then falling away. Then they're eventually called back, they recommit, everything's great, and then they fall away again. It starts all the way back in Genesis. Adam and Eve walked with God. Everything is great, they're in the garden. Then they disobeyed God. So they're cast out of the garden. And we see it in Exodus. Again, Moses led the people out of slavery in Egypt. The people committed to God, but it didn't last. Even after God delivered them from Egypt, fed them in the wilderness, and performed all the miracles that we saw in Exodus, they continuously grumbled against God. Judges and kings are full of these cycles over and over again of people coming back to God, falling away. The people of Israel couldn't keep God at the center of their lives. No matter how they committed or how committed they were in their promises or how hard they tried on their own. Just like the man in this discussion of the unclean spirits, Israel was unable to keep God at the center. They might have been able to sweep their house and put it in order for a short time, but they couldn't keep out the unclean spirits. Whether it was marrying wives from other nations or worshiping gods from other nations, they consistently failed at keeping their commitment to God. So I'm going to ask you again, do you see yourself here in this section 
Maybe you've never directly dealt with casting out demons or unclean spirits. I, I haven't. Maybe you have. I don't know. But I can definitely relate to Israel falling away from God. I know I constantly put other things on the throne in my heart and make them idols. And not even necessarily bad things. Sometimes it's my family. Maybe it's my career, hobbies. I'd say there's even been times that church itself has been an idol when I've lost the point and forgotten why I do it. So as we go through life, we need to remember to keep the main thing the main thing. Otherwise, we're just as guilty as the people of Israel. So at this point in verse 27, we see, as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Okay, so again, when I was reading this, I kind of took a step back and said, why is this here? <laughs> I mean, Jesus is really starting to get cranked up on this speech and he's going through, this, through these points and Luke puts this interjection in here that on the surface doesn't seem to fit. Think about the last time you were in a crowd that had a speaker. And I'm not talking about a somewhat formal setting like this. More like, you know, if you're in Old Town and there's a group and there's a speaker there, which is, I think is more what was happening here. It's not really uncommon for just a random person to yell something at the speaker, right? But it is uncommon for the speaker to stop and respond. I would say this probably wasn't even the first time that it happened during this speech. But we stop here and Jesus responds. Why does he do that? And I think, as I said, he's starting to turn the narrative here to the people of Israel directly, using the analogies of the spirits. But this really drives home the point that he's making about them. First of all, I want to point out, he doesn't rebuke the woman. He doesn't say that it was wrong for her to basically say, blessed is your mother. But he does say the blessing does not come from outward circumstance. He's saying it doesn't matter where your family is, doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter what you do for a living. He said the blessing comes from hearing and keeping the word of God. So notice the contrast here that he's talking about, about the person who hears and keeps the word of God and the pe people of Israel or that he was talking about with the unclean spirits. The people of Israel were unable to keep and hear the word of God, so those spirits kept coming back over and over again, and they, they fell away in unbelief. Again, we'll come back to this a little bit more as we continue through this. But how does this passage affect us? I think we can take this, heart to pass, this passage to heart as well. Do you want to experience God's blessings? I know I do. So how do we do that today? Um, just a couple of practical things. First of all, I mean, we're here Sunday mornings, right? And if you're testing yourself, I'd say, hey, you're here. Good, right? You're at least doing something, right? You're here and you're listening to people being taught. You're listening to the worship music and you're praising God through that. But that's hearing the word of God. How are you doing at keeping the word of God? Okay, honest assessment here. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. Just think through it. If you were here last week or whenever the last sermon you heard was, do you remember anything from that message? Sorry, Dan, I don't want to. <laughs> but I, how did it affect your week? Did it affect your week at all? If all we're doing is coming here 
and sitting in the chairs, nice comfortable chairs and listening to the good music, but it's not changing us, then we're missing the point. Second thing we do to hear and keep the word of God is community. We're called to be in each other's lives. And here at WCC, there's some structure in place to help make this happen. Uh, First and foremost is community groups, which this is where you really get to know other people and enter into their lives and know what they're struggling with and help each other out. If you're not involved in any of those, I would encourage you to visit a few of them. And honestly, even if you are involved in a community group but you don't feel like you're connecting, I would still encourage you to go visit a few more because it's really important to be in community with the people that God wants in your life. A couple other ways that we have for community, the women's Bible study and Men, a little challenge for you. We've got the men's breakfast coming up. I know the women um, in this body are do a very good job of getting together and being in community. The men, we're still working on it. Um, so a little challenge for that. We've got those get, are getting started up again this month. Um, if you have any questions about any of these things, and they've already pitched it a little bit, but there's the Connect desk that's out in the uh, Welcome Center out there. And oddly enough, the Connect desk will help you get connected to things at the church. So if you don't know what those are, visit that. But even aside from these formal things, believe it or not, it's okay to give somebody a call from church and just go have coffee. We don't have to schedule these things. That is allowed. So why do we do this though? Remember just a little bit ago when I asked if you ever doubted God and I'd tell you how to work through that? This is that section right here. Um, We strive to be in community so that when you are hurting, I can lift you up. When I'm hurting, you can lift me up. It's hard. It's vulnerable. And it's not something that we do well, naturally. And I would say that here at the church, we're not doing it perfectly. Again, this is probably another sermon that we could have that just discusses the ways that community group or communities could be better here. But it's just... I want to drive home that it's not just about going to community group and checking the box and saying, I'm done with community. Just being there, much like being here on Sunday morning, is not enough if all you're doing is going to check the box. The third thing that we do to hear and keep the word of God, prayer. little quick. It's about relationship. Remember Dan's message from last week. See, I do remember something from it. (laughs) This is the easiest way that you have to hear from somebody, right? If you want to get to know them, you have a conversation. That's what prayer is. Now, does this mean we're going to hear God's voice when we pray? Not necessarily. We know he hears us. And I would encourage you, if you listen, you do hear his response in one way or another. It might not be a voice, but you can hear responses often. So when was the last time that you really prayed? When did you actually ask God questions and expect an answer? If you don't, I would encourage you to carve out some time to do this. Just carve out some time this week and spend some time asking God your questions. I know some people, I'm going to mention it here, I don't do this, but a lot of people that I've talked to are very blessed by a prayer journal. They write down the things that they pray for and they write down how God answers those questions. And I can see how that would be very encouraging when you look back two months from now when you're in a tough spot and you say, God never responds to my prayers. Well, then you have all this evidence of how he does. Last thing of how we hear and keep God's word is obviously directly from God in the Bible. I put it last on this list 
which is probably the place it shouldn't be. It should be first on this list because if you're not doing this, then everything else that I've talked about is not going to go well. So I would encourage you primarily to find time to be in God's word. Okay, so let's, after that short aside that Luke put in here, let's jump back to how Jesus responded and let's see how these blessings that God has for his people compare with what's in store for the people that are opposing Jesus. We see in verse 29, when the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Okay, so quick trip back to Sunday school. Who was Jonah? He's got a whole book after him in the Old Testament. In the book of Jonah, we see that Jonah was tasked by God to preach repentance to the people of Nineveh. Now, Jonah loved God, and he knew that God was merciful. So if he went to Nineveh and brought them the word of repentance, the word of God, he knew they would repent. And he also knew that God was merciful. So if the people of Nineveh repented, God would spare them. Jonah didn't like the people of Nineveh. He decided they weren't worthy of God's mercy. So when God told him to go to Nineveh, he got on a boat and went the other way. So... I don't know if you've ever gone against God's direct direction, but it doesn't usually go very well, and it didn't for Jonah. The ship was almost destroyed in a storm. The people on the ship cast Jonah over the board, and he was swallowed by a fish. He repented and submitted to God after three days in the fish, and then the fish threw him up on dry ground, and he went to Nineveh, preached the words as directed by God, and just as you knew was going to happen, the people of Nineveh repented, and were spared. There's more to it on the story of Jonah, but that's really the important part for what we have today. So what is the sign of Jonah that he's talking about here? There's been some discussion on whether it's the three days, but at the time, the people that he's talking to didn't know anything about the three days that Jesus was going to spend in the tomb. So while I think there is an analogy here, the sign of Jonah that he's talking about is just sharing the word of God, like Jesus is here. Okay, jumping back in in verse 31, and I'm not going to go very far in verse 31. I'm going to do, what, five words. The queen of the south. Okay, back to the Old Testament. Who is the queen of the south? And again, like I said, Jesus expected these people to know these things. He doesn't go into this at all. So he expects them to know the Old Testament. The queen of the south shows up in two different places, 1 Kings 10.1 and 2 Chronicles 9.1. And in both of those places, I didn't count, but she's there for around 10 verses. So it's not like she's a big player in the Old Testament, not like Jonah where there's a whole book. But who is she? Just like it says here, she was a queen from another country. Scholars say it was Sheba, which is south. And she came to test Solomon. And she found him every bit as wise as his reputation suggested, And she left satisfied that Solomon was the wisest man ever to live and that God was working in him. Okay, so now we're going to jump into verse 31 here and we'll see what this says about the Queen of the South. The Queen of the South will rise up the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up the judgment of this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, 
something greater than Jonah is here. Okay, so another thing about both of these groups, the men of Nineveh and the queen of the south, are that they were Gentiles. But it's not just that they were Gentiles. It's more than that. Jesus uses these people for very specific reasons. First of all, let's talk a little bit more about the city of Nineveh. This was not a nice place. It's apparently very beautiful and a very big city, and it was amazing, but it was also very violent. Nahum is actually addressed primarily to the city of Nineveh, and in that, there it's called a bloody city all full of lies and plunder. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, which was a very ruthless kingdom, one of the most ruthless that's ever been on the earth. And they were known when they had captives from battle, from nations that stood against them, they would torture and kill them. And I'm not going to go into any of the details, but they're pretty graphic. They were not nice people. So Jesus, by bringing in these people of Nineveh, and again, he would expect his hearers to know this story, he's saying that these ruthless Evil people were not so blind that they couldn't recognize when Jonah spoke the words of God in their midst and repented. And yet, the people of Israel missed it. So he's saying, you're worse than the people of Nineveh. The queen of the south, now she wasn't ruthless or violent, at least that I found, like the people of Nineveh were. But she was exceptional because she traveled about 1,500 miles simply because she, quote, in 1 Kings 10.1, heard the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. He heard a rumor about this wise man that was touched by God in his wisdom. And so she packed up all a big group of camels and spices and all of these things, and she took off and traveled 1,500 miles just to see Solomon and just to hear his wisdom. And of course, Jesus showed more wisdom than Solomon to these people. He was able to answer every question that they brought to him. They were always trying to test him, and, but they never caught him in a falsehood. They never asked him a question he didn't know the answer to. They were continuously astounded by his teachings. Just as the queen of the south tested Solomon, the nation of Israel tested Jesus. While the queen of the south accepted the obvious truth, that God was working through Solomon and was on display, the nation of Israel rejected Jesus. So I can hear it from here. Most of you are thinking, but wait, that's not us, right? We didn't miss him. We believe. And you know what? Praise God. If you do believe, that's great. Praise God that you didn't miss the Messiah like the people here that he's addressing. But I would submit to you that we are all missing him in some way, right? Here's a small challenge for you. I'm sure a lot of you have heard stories in the, from churches in persecuted countries. I've heard several that they might have a single Bible for a church, and they divide this Bible, and they hand it out in sections so that all the families can take part of it home with them. I know I look at, I, I got a question for you. How many Bibles do you have in your house? Second question on that. Not just how many do you have. How many Bibles do you actually read in your house? When was the last time you read a single one of them? I know if you are reading the Bible regularly, great. I know that's something I can always grow in. 
I would imagine I'm probably not the only one. So on all, though, the evil men of Nineveh saw that Jonah was from God, and they repented and were spared. Similarly, the people of Israel, or sorry, the queen of the south, saw the wisdom of Solomon, and she praised God. However, the people of Israel were blind to all the miracles and preaching from Jesus, and they rejected him. I would say here in the church today in the U.S., maybe we do see Jesus as a savior, but I think we still miss him and that we don't let him fully into our lives. He might be on Sunday mornings, but is he there at work on Tuesday morning? Is he there when you go to the store? And I think if you have any doubt that Jesus is talking to us about these things, this next section is really where it comes home. Let's take a look at that in verse 33. See, no one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. So everybody knows the song, This Little Light of Mine, right? Children's song? Well, you can kind of forget that, because that's not what this verse is about. So remember who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to the crowd that opposes him, right? That are doubting him, that are there asking signs. The light in verse 33 is not our light. It's not this little light of mine. This is the light of Jesus. It's the light from him and from his teachings. He's basically saying, look, I'm out here in the open teaching these things, doing these miracles, casting out demons. I'm not doing it behind closed doors. In fact, I'm out here where everybody can see, and that's the entire point of me doing them where everybody can see is so that you can see these miracles. In verse 34, he says that when he sees that you're says that when your eye must be able to take in light from the lamp. If you're, you can't, your body will stay dark. If your eye is healthy, when you look at the light, it will permeate your entire body and it will be full of light. Jesus is simply telling the people here, open their eyes. It's obvious who he is if you look. He's done all these signs and wonders. He's shown all this wisdom. If you were living at the time, do you think you could actually see all these things and not believe? The people in the crowd, though, they were just like I am when I can't find the TV remote at home. They thought they knew what the, what the Messiah was going to look like. So when he showed up and he looked different than what they thought, they completely missed him. Again, can we say the same for people today? Thankfully, we don't have just the miracles in the Gospels to look at. We have the death and the resurrection that we can look at. If you haven't looked at it, and you're searching for answers. I know it happened more than 2,000 years ago, but the evidence is there, or about 2,000, I guess not more than, but the evidence is there if you look for it. Start by praying and asking God to reveal himself. Talk to people here. You'll find that Christians actually like to talk about this. But ask the questions. They're there if you are open to finding them. If you are a believer... Before we get too proud of ourselves that, hey, we recognize Jesus as the Savior, which, again, is great. Here, again, he's talking about letting the light fill your whole body with light, leaving no part dark. 
Would you describe your life and all of your actions as full of light? I know I wouldn't. I definitely fall short sometimes. But if you do want to be more like Jesus, just ask God to show him where you're missing him. Ask him what you can do to draw closer to him and be more like Christ. So to contrast that, when your eye is working, when you do see Jesus, several things happen. First of all, when your eye is working, unlike the man with the unclean spirits, your house will be in order. (laughs) Even though it might look messy sometimes, it will be in order because it's not by your own strength, but it's by the strength of the Holy Spirit that your house is protected and it will be put in order by the God of all creation. When your eye is working, you'll be able to experience the true blessing of someone who hears and keeps the word of God, not by your own strength, but again, by the strength and power from the God of all creation. When your eye is working, you will live in your real life with community, and you feel like you have other believers in your life speaking truth and walking with you. And again, when your eye is working, you will have an intimate relationship with God, learning from him and drawing closer to him. If none of these things sound familiar to you, maybe you need to visit the eye doctor. These aren't just little things. They are very important. And I can guarantee that everyone in this room, from the oldest believer to the youngest, from the pastors to someone who's never heard of Jesus, I guarantee we're all missing God in some way. So don't wait. Please ask him today what you might be missing. Okay, so, sorry, I know that was a lot, but quick summary of what we talked about and a couple of the challenges. I know there's been a lot of them through this. So, but I would ask you, just as I'm going to go through these real quick, just try and think about what you're going to take away from this message. So first of all, we talked about God's power on display, right? We saw that God, the God we serve is greater than his adversary. Take heart because God wins. Okay, next we talked about God's place in your life. By allowing God to have the throne in your life, your house will be protected and put in order by the God of the universe. Next, we talked about God's blessing to his people. It will improve your relationship with God through studying his word, through prayer, and through fellowship with his people. Next, we talked about the blindness of men. I would ask you to examine your life. Where are you personally missing Jesus today? Ask him to show you. Lastly, we talked about the piercing light of Jesus. So open your eyes. He's right here in front of you. Something greater is here, and he died for us. We can praise him for that. So will you pray with me? Father God, thank you again for your word. Thank you that you did come and you did die for us, and that we can look at the light coming from you, and we can just be in your presence, and that you will change us, you will change our hearts, you will change our lives for the better, Father. We love you. We ask that you would... uh, Just be glorified today, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.